first met Frank Kim in 1981 at a campus retreat, campus ministry retreat at Harvard University. Uh, Frank had become a Christian just a year earlier. He was a junior there at Harvard. And for the last 35, 36 years, uh, I, along with many of you, sometimes close up, generally from a distance, have been able to see and be impacted by his life and his faith and honestly even the legacy that he's left on so many continents in our world. I don't want to take up any more of Frank's time. Uh, you're going to be able to experience uh, his life and his faith, you know, uh, yourself in just a moment. Uh, Frank is uh, a disciple of Jesus. He's been a missionary on many continents. He's a CEO presently of a global cycling uh, company. He is a, uh, a tremendous father, grandfather, and in case you haven't noticed, the man in Erica Kim's life. And so we'll be able to meet the other half, you know, in just a moment. But before we do, just a little bit of a, uh, a video introduction. Is, uh, Frank will be sharing not only about his family life, but how he's used his career to glorify God. Well, Pactimo uh, designs and builds premium quality technical performance wear for cycling, triathlon, and runners. Uh, I think what sets us apart, however, is although we work with thousands of athletes from world champions and professionals down to your hobbyists, um, we decided from the beginning to build a great company first and then a company that makes sports apparel second. And so I think those values and that mission is inherent in everything that we do. Good morning. I am the man that is known in Atlanta as Erica Kim's husband. And you know, uh, God performs miracles all the time in our lives, doesn't he? But you absolutely can get a sense of how great the miracle is going to be at times by how much of a challenge it is to actually get there. This happened to us on Friday. When Eric and I were supposed to catch the uh, 7.50 a.m. flight from Denver to Atlanta. Did you notice that I inserted the word, inter inserted the word supposed to? That's because uh, I kind of monkeyed around. Traveling a lot as I do for business, I hate spending time in airports. And it's usually my goal to be sort of near the last guy on the plane. Well, you know, Eric had a bag that needed to be checked. And I was just following my usual rhythm of travel. And as a result, we got to the checkout counter after the last bag could be checked, and therefore we were not allowed to get on the flight. God performed a miracle by getting us on a couple of hours later, but I had to call Tom to let him know that we were going to be delayed. Tom was very kind. He said, brother, I understand. There's no problem. We'll come pick you up. Good luck with your wife. <laughs> and you know, he read that situation rather correctly. However, I was blessed by God because the very next day, Erica was going to have to do a three-hour conference on grace. <laughs> and so I, I just want to say, you know, sisters, I, I know that I might not have had very much to do with yesterday, but I did help Erica to practice her grace in preparation for that incredible conference. Erica certainly had an amazing time with you, and I know you had a great time with her. She is every bit as amazing as you think she is, and far more. <laughs> 
And uh, I am blessed by God's grace to be married to her for all these 32 years. She's an incredible woman. I love you, honey. You're amazing. I'm also so blessed to be here with Tom and Kelly. I'm so thankful for them inviting us here. Uh, Tom has been a big brother in the faith to me, a hero in the faith to me, my entire Christian life. My entire Christian life, I've looked up to him. I've respected him for his convictions, for the way that he lives his life. And I just want to say that now more than ever, bro, I respect you and I will imitate the way that you live. It's great to be with all of you. Today, I have an interesting topic. I want to talk about the other 90%. Now, in the turbulent political times in which we live, I'm sure that many of us are thinking, oh, no. Doesn't he understand? We don't talk about things like that at church. But that's not what I'm talking about. Today's message is going to bring on a simple fact that we will spend 90% of our waking life outside of this auditorium, outside of this church building. Now, what does that mean? I take away a couple of things. One is, that means the time that we actually do spend in this auditorium, that we do spend in this building, is incredibly precious. It's rare. It's exceptional. It's special. It makes it that much more important. Now, let's face it. There are some of us who have said, I feel like I spend all my time at church. If you ever said that, either verbally or in your heart, raise your hand. If you haven't, okay, I don't know. You know, the Lord knows your heart. He knows what's going on. I know I've said that. And if you feel that way, the truth is we don't. The truth is, the amount of time that we actually spend in this building is not that much. In fact, it's, it's very rare. And so when we do get time to be together like this, it's special. These kind of time are like steroids for our faith. My thing about the worship that we had today with Macintosh and Sons and Company. <laughs> well, you are gifted with an abundance of talents that's just not fair. And if you're watching this on Facebook Live, I want you to know it's great that you're with us, but it's not the same as being here. We need to be here in the building when the family is together. I think about the powerful messages that change our lives that we hear here. I mean, from the time that I was a baby Christian, my favorite, and one of my favorites today, preacher to listen to is Tom Brown. I think about Jeff and the powerful messages he preaches, Douglas, all the others who are on staff here and the others who share. Even today's communion service was awesome. We hear that because we're together. I think about the encouragement of the fellowship. Tom said, welcome home. I feel like I'm home. I know so many of you by face. Why? Because I'm friends with Jack Frederick on Facebook. <laughs> you know, God is glorified when we gather together as family. We just celebrated Black History Month in the Denver church. That was amazing. Right up there. Okay. You know, we just celebrated Black History Month. I love bringing my friends to the Denver church. And one of the main reasons is because I am convinced that it will be the most diverse group that they will be a part of that entire week. And for many people, maybe their entire lives. They've never been in fellowship, never been hugged by so many diverse people. And when I look around this fellowship, I see exactly the same thing. Isn't that the power and the glory of God? And that's what brings us together. You know, if anything, we need as much of this as we can possibly get, don't we? And that's why we love being in this building. It's a great church here in North River. I also love the mission statement that you guys have come up with. 
Love God, love one another, change the world. That's so simple, even I could get it. As a senior citizen, I can remember that. <laughs> love God, love one another, change the world. But you know what the other thing that I take away from this fact is? That 90% of fulfilling that mission statement is not going to happen inside of here. If we are going to love God, love people, and change the world, it's going to happen out there. In the other 90% of our lives, we need to ask ourselves this morning, where is my greatest impact for God? Where am I having my greatest impact on others? It can't be in here. It's got to be out there. And that's why today I want to talk about the other 90%. We spend so much of our lives at work, don't we? You know, I know as a business owner, it's humbling to me that those people who work for me are going to spend the greatest part of their waking lives in my company, working. You know, I was in the full-time ministry for 20 years. 16 of them, Eric and I were missionaries in Europe and Asia. We planted and led and discipled churches and church leaders. And then Erica's lupus, her condition relapsed around the year 2000. And for the next couple of years, she started feeling weaker and weaker. Our oldest daughter, Miyoko, was diagnosed on a DNA test as also having lupus. And we decided that a change was needed in our lives. And it came down to this. I knew that I could please God even if I wasn't in the full-time ministry. But I also knew that I could not please God if I didn't love and take care of my wife. So we changed lives. We got out of the full-time ministry. We came back to the United States. And thus began one of the most challenging and rewarding chapters in my life that we continue to live today. We encountered financial challenges. I remember lying on a mattress. We didn't have furniture at the time. In our bedroom, looking out the window at the street light outside of our house. Not able to sleep, just wondering, how am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to pay the bills? My daughter was two years from college. How am I going to afford for her to go to college? You know what I'm talking about. I experienced some challenging, tough times. I remember sitting in a bank conference room. My loan on a big project that we were doing was coming due. I needed an extension. But that day, Washington Mutual went bankrupt. The financial world was crashing. I thought this could be, I could lose everything that I have. I mean, I prayed, I sweat and prayed until the vice president of lending walked through the door. The last couple of years, 11 years, I've been blessed to be the CEO and one of the co-owners of Pactimo. It's literally a basement startup. and We're a provider of technical apparel to cyclists and triathletes around the world. God has blessed our little company. We've grown to about 140 uh, employees around the world in Asia, the U.S., and Europe. God has blessed us with some awards for our growth, for our culture, for innovation. And it's amazing to me that I can actually be riding my bike on a beautiful day looking at the mountains and working because I call it product development. <laughs> but you know, I've also struggled a lot as a Christian. I thought about where does my work fit into my Christian life? How do they go together, work and faith? I had spent 
the majority of my young life, most of my life, doing the Lord's work. And now what's I doing? Am I wasting time? Am I wasting my life? I asked questions. I went to the word of God. I learned a lot. I'm deeply grateful for the many awesome brothers and sisters who have provided so much advice and encouragement. People even in this church who have walked this path ahead of me and have blessed me with their insight and their experience. Today, what I'd like to do is be able to share with you some things that have helped me along the way. And hopefully, they'll be of encouragement to you as well. First of all, I needed to go deeper. You know, when I first started looking for work outside of the ministry, full-time ministry, my number one goal was so completely godly. Here's what I thought. I need to make as much money as I possibly can. I need to make some money. I need to pay some bills. But you know what happened? I realized after a while that that motivation only takes you so far. That doesn't take you to the finish line as a Christian. And so I had to go deeper. I mean, I had spent years of my life focused on people's lives, their hearts, their character, and their eternity. And now what am I going to do? Now suddenly I'm making high-performance technical apparel. And sure, it's wind tunnel tusted. There's carbon fiber yarns used. You know, we have uh, reflective pixels in every leg band. But in the end of the day, it's still a stretchy pant. <laughs> so I had to do a lot of study, a lot of thinking and review and reflection about the direction my life has taken. And as a result, I will tell you, I have really expanded and deepened my understanding of what worship means. The kind of worship that's described in Romans chapter 12, when it says that we are supposed to offer our body, our whole life, not the 10%, the 100%, our whole life as a living sacrifice to God. That is our spiritual worship. What I realized is that my work was not separated from my faith, but that my work, my job, is an extension of my faith. It is a place where I express my faith. It is a place where I live out my relationship with God. See, what I realize, and this is important, is that making stretchy pants can be sacred. So let's talk about purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says in verse 31, eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, I had to really, really understand that there is a difference between my mission and my purpose. See, for years, my mission was to go evangelize all of France. So we went there and started a church in Paris. Or my mission was to go and evangelize all of Japan. So we started a church in Tokyo. Or my mission was to reach out to Southeast Asia. So we started churches in Cambodia and Vietnam. Now, my mission was different. But the one thing that never changed in my life is my purpose. My purpose is to glorify God. And it doesn't matter if I'm a missionary, if I'm a teacher, if I'm a CEO, if I'm making apparel. It doesn't matter what my particular mission is at the time. My purpose always remains the same. When I was 18 years old, started coming to church, to now when I'm 56 years old this year, my purpose remains the same. And that is to glorify God. 
Glory is a really interesting word. Oops, sorry. Glory is an interesting word. The word is doxa. If you look at Vine's New Testament dictionary, which um, if you don't have it, Douglas Jacoby can quote it from memory. <laughs> the definition for glory is it's used of the nature and acts of God in self-manifestation. In other words, what he essentially is and does, as exhibited in whatever way he reveals himself in these respects, and particularly in the person of Christ, in whom essentially his glory has ever shone forth and ever will do. In other words, glory is that which reveals the nature of God. Think about creation. Isn't that God's glory? Have you ever stood at a sunrise or a sunset? You're not campus, so I can say sunrise. Have you ever seen the sunrise? And just been so blown away that every fiber of your being thinks about God. That's how creation glorifies God. Because it reveals who he is to us. Obviously, the very pinnacle of this is Jesus. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, how it describes Jesus? It says the Son is the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. The exact representation. When we look at Jesus, we see God. He's the glory of God because he reflects God to us. So what about us? Well, interestingly, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, when it talks about the very beginning of us, it says God created us, how? In his image. Isn't that interesting? You see, pagans make images of God, and I've seen a lot of those, but God makes us in his image. You know, Erica talked about the masterpiece yesterday. You know what's amazing? I want you to think about the most spectacular, just spectacular scene of nature that you've ever, ever witnessed in your life. Whether it's the Rocky Mountains, the Continental Divide, a tremendous hurricane, a tornado, a sunset, an ocean beach, whatever it is. That person sitting next to you today is more spectacular than that. Because he or she was actually created in the image of God. To reflect God himself. I'll tell you, every day while I'm praying, one of the prayers I pray is God help other people see you in me. Well, if we're going to reflect God, we need to know who God is. What's his nature? Well, there's so many things we could say about God. His compassion, his love, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness, his purity. But today I want to talk about something maybe you haven't thought about. In Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning of the Bible, it describes God. What does it say? By the seventh day, God had finished the... He had been doing so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his... Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all of the... Of creating all that he had. In the very beginning, what was God doing? He was at work. And that word signifies occupation, ministry, business work. You know, if we go through the rest of the Bible, there are so many other places where God is described at be, as being at work. I love the John chapter 5 one because it talks about how God, his, my father's always at his work. Sometimes your kids will come to you and say, dad, you're always at work. And you can say now, yeah, I'm just being like God. 
But let me ask you this. Isn't it not, is it not self-evident? If work is of God, is it not by definition spiritual? If work is of God, if it reflects his nature, is it not sacred? Is it not a part of our worship? Well, what about our nature? If God's nature is to work and we are made in his image, who are we to be? Well, it's very interesting to me. If you look back to Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning of creation, God creates man as the pinnacle of his entire creation. And the first thing he does is what? He gives him a job. Son, go out there and get a job. God immediately gave man work to do. Now, it wasn't a fancy job. It wasn't a job with a great title. I don't know what the salary was. I mean, he was out there tilling the soil. He was trimming the shrubs. But you know what? If God gives it to you, it's glorious. It's something to be proud of. He was fired up about it. So pay attention. What are we saying? Man, woman, perfect, harmonious relationship with God. Before sin, before the evil one rocks the world, in Eden, in paradise, there was work. Hmm. That's not the way we would describe paradise. Now, at some point, I'm sure we've all said that God has made us, created us to love, and he has. And God has created us to serve, and he has. And God has created us to praise, and he has. How many of us say God has created us to have a job? And he has. He's created us to work. Now, that might, work might be raising kids. That work might be working in an investment bank, but God has created us to work. Amen? So today, whether you're an accountant, you're a janitor, you're a teacher, you're a counselor, you're a mother, whether you're a doctor, a sales rep, or a gardener, here's what I want to say to you. God gives us work, and it is glorious. You see, God was a part of his unblemished, perfect plan for our lives. It was not punishment. It was a blessing. Now I know in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the fall of man. And you remember that passage where we said, okay, by the sweat of your brow, by painful toil, you're going to be able to make a living. And yes, that was the result of sin. But what I'm so glad about is we serve a God who redeems. He redeems. You know, the world has perverted male and female relationships. But in Christ and through his grace and through purity, we are able to redeem those relationships. Amen? Sure, in the world, people look at work like punishment, like a burden, like a, like, like a, a pain that's just necessary. But we as Christians can't let the world control that. We've got to understand that through God's power, he has redeemed the meaning of work. Amen? Sometimes we think that there's spiritual work and then there's unspiritual work. Spiritual work, studying the Bible with someone, praying. Then there's unspiritual work, creating a budget or a spreadsheet. 
doing a CAD file, working on digital marketing. You know, here's the funny thing. That's actually really medieval thinking. That kind of thinking first evolved in the dark ages, in the primitive church, when they said there's, there's spiritual work and then there's worldly, dirty, world, uh, unspiritual work. And that was supposed to have changed. Luther actually wrote quite a bit about that and explained that we're able to express our faith in everything that we do, in all areas of our life. That we don't just serve God in 10% of our life, we serve God in 100% of our lives. Amen? In the other 90%, we're able to glorify God. You see, work is a part of our integrated walk with God. And it was meant to bring us, bring Him glory, but it was also created to bring us fulfillment. Has anybody here ever seen Chariots of Fire? Yeah, awesome, right? You know, if you're in the campus, I think that they think that's sort of like, um, you know, Charlton Heston and, you know, Exodus or something like that. But Chariots of Fire was a great part of my youth. And it's about Eric Liddell, who was a Scottish believer who ran on the Olympic team for the United Kingdom. Did some great things. But I remember when he was talking to his sister and she wanted him to uh, really examine his heart about whether or not he was doing it for his own self. And he said to his sister, you know, God made me. And he said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When you work, when you're using your gifts, when you're using your talents, do you feel God's pleasure? Now, if you don't, Maybe you need to ask yourself, why am I working? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And what I'm saying this morning is maybe you need to go deeper. I know I've had to. And I need to do so regularly. A question that I ask myself is, would I work if I didn't have to? Is it a burden? Or is it a blessing? Is my work a distraction from the things that I actually want to do? Or is it where I express my discipleship and I get discipled by God? You see, when we strive for excellence in our work, not for worldly reasons and not for ourselves, but when we strive for excellence in our work to please God and honor him and lift him up, what it does is it actually transforms our work and then our work transforms us. Isn't that the story that we read in the Bible? Men and women whose godly dedication to work was used by God to then transform them into instruments to do his will. I think about Joseph. I bet a lot of us can relate to Joseph. Overlooked. Unappreciated. Passed over for promotion. But living with integrity. Always doing his best to grow. Starting from the steward of a little household to a manager of a correctional facility. <laughs> Learning how to balance a very, I would imagine, very meager budget. Working with very difficult staff. 
And so that when the time came and the door opened and God's kairos, his timing came to fulfillment, not only did he know the interpretation of the dream, but he had prepared himself as a professional to lead. I think about a young man named Hiroshige in Tokyo. We baptized him and he went to one of the best colleges in the entire nation of Japan. He was on the baseball team. He had such a great, bright future ahead of him. But you know, when he graduated, Japan was going through a recession. And he couldn't get a job. He interviewed at all the big companies. He got nothing. He interviewed at the middle-sized companies. He got nothing. Finally, he was hired by a little company that was located about a quarter of a mile from our church building in Tokyo. Of course, Hiroshige was in deep depression. He was dark. He went every day and lay his head on the desk and slept. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hiroshige was an incredible disciple. And you know what he didn't know? He didn't know that before he got there, that company was going through a horrible time because the CEO and owner of the company was going through depression. And because of that, had basically isolated herself from the rest of the staff. And because of that, the company was in chaos. It was in disarray. And people were backbiting, and they were fighting, and the atmosphere there had grown really, really dark and negative. So here, along comes Hiroshige, fired-up disciple for Jesus. And every morning, he gets off the train, and he's singing all the way to work. He gets there earlier than everybody else, gets his desk cleaned up, walks around, helps everybody else, says hi to everybody. I'm telling you, within about a month or two, he literally changed the atmosphere of the entire office. The CEO finally calls, her, calls him into her office, says, shuts the door, says, hey, what is going on? He goes, I, I, I don't know. She goes, what is with you? What do you have? He goes, I'm a Christian. In fact, I go to church like right over there, a couple blocks away. We had what we call a Jesus series where you study the Bible in a group Every night, like, the, you know, Jesus, the word, discipleship, light, and dark, light, darkness, you know, that kind of thing. That CEO showed up on the first night of that week. She was sitting in the back. She was an older person, you know, very, very together, very sharp. Afterwards came up and said, I need this. She started studying the Bible with Erica. And I'm telling you, I think it was within two weeks she was baptized into Christ. Not only was she baptized into Christ... Her daughter was baptized into Christ, who was an adult working in the company. Then her other daughter, who was in marketing, she was baptized into Christ. Then that daughter's husband, who was working in finance, he was baptized into Christ. Now, this woman's husband, he came to church, he met with me. I thought, okay, great, he's going to study the Bible. He says, no, Frank, I belong to another religion. Here's our sacred script. I want you to read it. I'm like, this is in Japanese. I He was, a, he was an executive of one of the largest air conditioning firms in Japan. After he saw everything happening in his, his family, a couple months later he came in and said, okay, don't read that one, let's read the Bible together. <laughs> he was baptized into Christ. And then we studied with his parents. His dad was in his 80s, his mother was in her 90s. He had fought in the war. He had a lot of guilt, a lot of shame about things he'd experienced as a Japanese military soldier. His mother and father were baptized into Christ. Why? Every day, Hiroshige sang songs on the way to work. 
I mean, one of, the, one of the employees said, one time I saw him and I came up behind him and I heard him singing. You know what? I can see singing on the way back from work, but not to work. But <laughs> you know, how about Daniel? How many of you guys, you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but you think, man, my workplace is worldly, cutthroat, high pressure. People are always stabbing each other in the back. There's arrogance there. Look at Daniel. You know, Daniel, his corporation had a hostile takeover three times that I can tell. And he survived every single time. And it refined his faith. It deepened his faith. You see, work is not where we separate ourselves from God. Work is where God works on our lives. He refines our character. He refines our faith. Let's go to Psalm 78. I love this psalm. Everybody with me there? You know, some of us have the good fortune, like I do, to either be a business owner or a manager. And, you know, you have some level of ability to create an environment, what I call a bubble of influence for the people who work for you. And if you do, then I want to read you this passage. This is a passage I share with several of the brothers that I mentor who are business professionals in Denver. And it says here in verse 70, 70, he chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep he brought him, to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. If you're going to be a business leader, you need to be good at what you do. Skillful hands. But you also need to have a heart. Integrity of heart. And I'm so proud of two brothers, Edwin Bergeret and Chad Fincher. They're the owners and their best friends of a healthcare company called Optimal, which is currently the largest privately held home healthcare company in the state of Colorado. But I knew them 10 years ago when it was just basically an idea. The two couples got together and said, let's do this. Let's start a company. Today, they have over 300 employees. But you know what's really amazing to me? They've actually studied the Bible. Not they personally, but over 100 people in their company have studied the Bible. 22 have been baptized. That's impact. Now, you know, that doesn't happen if your company goes bankrupt. That doesn't happen if you don't run your company skillfully and with integrity. But there's that extra gear that we all have as Christians. That extra sense of purpose and meaning. I'm calling on you to think about that. So, I was called by God to plant a church in Tokyo. I believe with all of my heart that today I'm called by God to lead a company called Pactimo. I'm an elder in the Denver church. I'm also a shepherd of souls in my company. And whether I'm in Asia or in Europe, in Colorado, I really believe my purpose has never changed. My purpose is to give God glory in all that I do. Amen? Well, where else do we spend our lives? We spend our lives at home, don't we? Now, one of my favorite scriptures is Genesis chapter 12, where God gives Abraham a promise. It's an incredible promise. 
Now, I want to ask all of you, you know, uh, to think about this. And I want to ask, do we have, I, I know this church is an incredibly experienced church. Do we have 10-year-old Christians in here? All right. Anybody 10 years old and older in Christ? Raise your hand. All right. Keep your hand up if you're 20 years and older. How about 30 years and older? Anybody like 35 years and older? You guys are my big brothers in the Lord. I respect you and I honor you. Yeah, you can put your hands down. How many of us, our lives have turned out the way that we thought they would? Raise your hand. Well, you know, the same thing happened to Abraham. He got this incredible promise from God that he was going to change the world, right? Literally touch everyone on earth. And his whole life turned out completely different. Like he had one son. He had no castle. He was living in tents. He had no land to call his own. I mean, a lot of good things happened, but there's a lot of things that just weren't according to plan. But one thing I love is in Genesis 18, God says this to Abraham. He says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Abraham had a vision of how he was going to affect the world. But God had a different plan. God's plan was, you direct your family. And by family, it was basically Sarah and Isaac. You direct your family to love me and follow me and walk with me, and you will change the world. That's pretty awesome. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The other place we spend time, our waking lives, at home. And we need to spend as much time there as we can. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have the greatest command, which no one at North River is a stranger to. In verse 5, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But we must take this passage in context. If you go back to verse 1, it says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Verse 2, So that you, your children, and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I've given you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Then he gives the greatest command. And then he says, after the greatest command, these commands that I give you today in verse 6 are to be on your hearts. Now, if they're on your heart, it's not something that you just do, it's something that you are. And I will tell you, that is enough for sessions of parenting classes. If your Christianity, if your faith in God is not something that you do, but it's who you are. But if it's who you are, what are you naturally going to do? It says in verse 7, you're going to impress them on your children. So that they and their children after them 
will inhabit the land that he has given you to possess. You know, this is not just an Old Testament statement. A lot of times we overlook the fact that in Acts 2.38, he says this, this promise is for you and for who? Your children. You be cut to the heart. You make Jesus Lord. You repent. You get baptized. You grow in your faith. And then when your children come along, you teach them to have faith in God, to make Jesus Lord, to repent, so that they can be baptized and they can walk with God as long as they live. You see, God intended our families to be a multiplier in our evangelism of the world. Are we still supposed to invite our neighbor to church? Absolutely. Are we supposed to reach out to people at work? Absolutely. Are we still supposed to put a card in the hand of the person at the Starbucks as you drive by? Absolutely. But there is no greater multiplier to God's impact than the children that live in our homes. I don't know what your dreams were when you were young. Maybe to go to Africa. Maybe to go to Russia. Maybe to evangelize a certain city in the United States. Here's what I want to tell you today. Did you know you could probably impact an entire campus by having family dinners every night? That's the seed. You may evangelize a nation at McDonald's by taking your son or your daughter every week for D time and sharing a pancake thing together. Share because it's too much calories for you alone. How many souls in the future will you win because you took the time to go for prayer walks with your kid when they're going through tough times? Not just going down to the school and taking on the teacher and telling your kid that everybody else is wrong, but helping them to find the strength in God to stand up and have their own convictions. God said to Abraham, you're going to change the world by turning your family to me. You know, one of the greatest scriptures for parents is Joshua 24. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One of the saddest scriptures is Judges chapter 2. Literally, two generations later. And after that whole generation had been gathered their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is not a parenting seminar. And if you want to know more about parenting, I'm about to make a shameless pitch. We're hosting a North American Family Conference in Denver this fall. Over the Labor Day weekend, we're inviting all the youth and family ministers around the country to come and join us. Chase will be there. We're inviting all the children's coordinators, Kids Kingdom teachers. If you want to be the best you can be, come and join us. We're inviting church leaders and elders because we don't think that kids' programs are a program. They're supposed to be a part of the ministry. But we're also inviting parents. And we will have some of the great, most experienced elders and teachers from around our fellowship in Denver doing workshops for kids with special needs, kids who are in adopted families, kids who are in blended families, and kids who just need God, which includes all of us here in this room. And so if you haven't made plans for Labor Day yet, please check it out online and join us. So today I'm not going to do a parenting workshop. 
But I am going to say this. How intentional are you? We have a little bit of time with our children at home. It's where we spend our lives. It's the other 90%. How intentional are you? Parents, we cannot outsource this. We cannot ask someone else to take care of it. Chase is here, but it's not his job. He's here to support us. It's us as parents. How intentional are we? And if you're single or you're a young married with no kids, I want you to look at this. This is how often we do church with different programs. But God's intention was for us to have church like that. Who are you reaching out to? There should not be any children in our church that don't have big brothers, big sisters, and aunts and uncles. Amen? Here we have uh, some of our youth and family ministry. But what I really want to end with is this. Families, parents, I know that in a church this size, there are many of us who have experienced the heartbreak of a child who doesn't walk with God. But what I want to encourage you to think about are two things. One is, don't get swallowed up in guilt. Don't get swallowed up in guilt. It's about grace. To be honest, if any of our children are baptized in Christ or walk with God, it's because of God's grace. We have all made enough mistakes for our children to say, that's ridiculous. So if our children walk with God, it's because of their grace. And uh, I hope you'll let me play my last video because this is very encouraging. Would, do you want to hear the last video? Because uh, what I want to share is this. It's never over. It's not over. Our kids might be writing their testimony right now as we sit here. And it's going to be an incredible testimony. But we have to maintain our faith. And so today, I want to end by saying this, and then we'll watch the video. The other 90%. We get fired up here, we get inspired here, we get encouraged here. But where are we going to impact the world? At your job, glorify him. In your homes, lift him up and glorify him. Let's listen to Jason. Hi, my name is Jason, the son of Bruce and Robin Williams. I grew up in the church and was baptized at age 14. As a Christian in high school and college, Hi, my name is Jason, the son of Bruce and Robin Williams. I grew up in the church and was baptized at age 14. As a Christian in high school and college, I saw God do amazing things. However, toward the end of my senior year of college, I began to doubt God's goodness toward me after a disappointing end to a relationship. I ended up leaving God and delved deep into the world of drugs, women, and drinking. Needless to say, this crushed my parents. I could tell they didn't know what to do, but they were willing to do whatever it took to help me come back. My dad was always wanting to spend time together. He would often ask me how I was doing spiritually and if I was ready to come back. I remember one day telling him that I don't want to talk about it, and if you continue to talk about it, then we won't have a relationship. It was around then that he began asking me what he needed to change. He asked for my forgiveness for anything and everything in the past. Even though it was me who was hard-hearted and had the issues with God, he made it about what he needed to change and not what I needed to. I began to notice a big change in him. He was more humble, loving, and expressive. 
Even though he knew I was on my spiritual journey, he never stopped reaching out to me and insisting on being together. We'd meet up at least bi-weekly to play racquetball and would take annual fishing trips together. I remember one time some friends of mine were planning a trip to Vegas and asked if I wanted to go. I told them how badly I wanted to go, but my dad was wanting to go on this fishing trip together. I'll never forget my friend's response. He said, wow, your dad actually wants to spend time with you? I wish my dad was like that. I don't even talk to him. I felt my heart begin to turn back toward my parents and my perspective on life began to change as well. I thought to myself, Jason, you are so ungrateful and I have no idea just how awesome your dad is. I still had a long way to go before coming back to God, but God began moving in my heart. My parents said that although it was a scary prayer to pray, they prayed, God, do whatever you need to do to bring Jason back to you. Just spare his life. They also enlisted as many people as possible to pray for me. I believe that it was through all those prayers that God began to work my life. After a night in Hollywood with a girl I was trying to impress, we were pulled over for a broken taillight in a brand new car I just bought. The police gave me a field sobriety test and after failing, placed me in handcuffs, sat me down on the curb and put her in a cab home. I began to think, what are you doing with your life? This isn't how you were raised. The very next day, Marco Pelizzari showed up at my place of work. I fell into his arms and told him I wanted to study the Bible. See, I believe that night God responded to all those many prayers and caused that taillight to go out. Fortunately, it wasn't a paralyzing accident, but it was enough to cause me to question the path I was on. He drew me back with cords of kindness and grace. Since my repentance and coming back, God has lavished his blessings upon me. He gave me a life beyond my wildest dreams, a beautiful wife in Miyoko and our incredible new son, Lincoln. If your son or daughter has left God, I want to encourage you to not give up praying for them, enlisting others to pray for them, and be willing to change whatever you need to change for them. Your love, prayers, and humility will make a difference.